so much of our work is like, I can be grateful and frustrated at the same time. I can be loved by my parents and be wounded by them. I can be grateful for my church and have issues with some of the things they teach. Like things are not black and white. Welcome to Prone to Wonder, a podcast where no questions are off limits. Join us, Amber Humphreys, Becca Robinson, and Vanessa Fernandez each week as three best friends, women, and ex-ministry junkies navigate conversations about deconstruction, reconstruction, growth, and wondering aloud about all the things we weren't supposed to wonder. Each of us having different perspectives, these conversations aren't about having all the answers, but about giving yourself permission to ask questions and forge your own path. We're so glad you've joined us. Welcome to season two. Season two. We are so excited about season two. So the season is going to be a little different than the last season. In season one, we were sharing a lot of our own personal conversations and stories about our deconstruction journeys and the questions and the frustrations and wonderings that came up around those. In this season, we're going to be sharing a lot about the things that we have wondered about as we've navigated our deconstruction, but also as we have begun to put the pieces back together to build the lives and the spiritual journeys that we want to build. So this season, you're going to hear wonderings with us, but also wonderings with different experts in these fields of topics that we were curious about. We are so excited about this episode. We are talking mental health. Raise your Mm -hmm. hand if you got mental health problems. (laughs) (laughs) I have raised all of my limbs. You can't see it. Yeah. So this conversation started really because I kind of hit a breaking point at the end of summer personally and was talking to Amber and Vanessa about needing to find a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I ended up finding a really incredible one and starting to go to her. And you know how it is whenever you start talking about a topic, it's like it pops up everywhere in your life. Like everybody's talking about it, all the news articles about it. And then I read this incredible news article about this new term called pandemic flux, which is like this mental health state apparently that so many of us are in where it's been 18 months of uncertainty in the pandemic. And apparently it's not uncommon that people are hitting their tipping points right now. What? You say people are losing it during the pandemic. What? Well, so apparently it's like everybody was in survival mode and there's like these stages of, I guess, grief is what you call it. Or like nervous system reaction. And the first one you're like in survival mode and it's actually very unifying people like kind of rallying together. And then there's like this whole state of uncertainty. And then after that, it's, um, I forget the word, but it's basically like a rebuilding. And they did these surveys and they said that people's hope and positivity was highest in June, that it had been Mm. in like a year and a half. That was right before the Delta variant stuff started. And then it was kind of like, I think everybody was feeling like, okay, like we're, we did it. We're getting, we're getting back out there. Like things are going to be better. And then this whole second wave came. And especially if you're a parent with the uncertainty of trying to send your kids back to school during this. And it was just like, it kind of 
I don't want to say it broke people, but it like really kind of broke the people's spirit and they got very defeated feeling when the normal reaction during times like this is kind of like the cyclical thing. So it's like everybody was on this upswing. It kind of kicked everybody's knees out. Hmm. And so they were saying symptoms of it are like wanting to dramatically change your life um, or, you know, like obviously struggling with the normal mental health things, but like wanting to like repaint your house or sell your house and move or like all of these things because people are just like so basically everybody is morphing into an Enneagram seven. Cause I feel yes, this way all the time. <laughs> everyone's at max capacity for uncertainty. And if anybody yeah. wants to look up the article, it was written by Dr. Amy Cuddy. So if you Google Dr. Amy Cuddy pandemic flux, you'll find it. It's super fascinating. That is so fascinating. anyway, we were talking about mental health more and we thought, even though mental health is something, you know, that now is much less, um, what's the word off topic or like you can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Then when we were kids, you know, now it's a lot more common taboo. That's the word. Even though it's a lot less taboo to talk about now, we all had kind of expressed that for people who, you know, maybe have a religious background, it can still be a struggle to, to talk about it, to admit that you need it. Um, because it kind of can reflect, it can reflect on you as you can interpret it as a reflection of failure in some way, which is also not a healthy mental or an intrinsically broken part of you, Mm -hmm. like, which is a hard thing to deal with. So yeah, I've been on my mental health journey for a few years and it's been a lot to untangle. And, um, I definitely dealt with that. And then I am certainly feeling that (laughs) pandemic flux. So, um, this conversation was right on time. We got to have a conversation with Christy Rowles, who is a therapist and an Enneagram coach, and she is fantastic. There was laughter, there were tears. She has gone through her own D and reconstruction journeys. So getting to have these conversations around mental health, um, and through that lens was, was really insightful and we can't wait for you guys to hear it. So without hesitation, let's jump in. Christy, for you, you've been in therapy for a while, correct? This was not something that you grew up thinking was like not okay, or do I have that wrong? Yeah, no, that's pretty accurate. So the first time I went into therapy, I was having like pretty significant anxiety when I was in middle school and um, my mom took me to the doctor and the doctor was like, she's totally fine. (laughs) So I don't think it's physical. I think that she needs to see someone. And so, um, even as young as sixth grade, I was in therapy, had a great experience. Like my therapist was so kind, so gracious and gentle. Um, and so I, I didn't grow up feeling a ton of shame from my family. Um, I, I did become like active in the Christian faith when I was in high school. So I had the experience of therapy before church, which was interesting. So I don't think I was pounded with as many like messages early, early on in development, but, uh, definitely, um, felt more of that tension, like after I joined the church in high school and then even a lot in college, actually. What were some of those messages? Like what kind of tension are you talking about? So I feel like one of the classic ones is like pray it away, right? Like if you pray hard enough, you don't need therapy. Um, Also the idea that like the church 
ought to be everything for you, you know, like your safe place to process and heal, which I first off just think is like a totally, like, it's a beautiful idea and also an unfair expectation. People who are not clinically trained in any capacity. I think that is partially a lack of understanding of like, uh, what therapy is in terms of like, initially before I became a therapist myself and also, you know, went through a lot of therapy. I was like, Oh, it's just someone who talks to you, you know? And I thought, Oh, I could do that with literally anybody, you know? So no wonder, I think the church thinks like we can be a safe place, but when it comes down to it, I mean, we are, even when I'm not in a headspace of like actually being a clinician, I don't operate like a therapist, you know? And so when you're just being a human, it's just nothing the same at all. Um, and so I think that idea that the, like being in community, being in the church ought to be enough, pray hard enough. Um, you know, there's so many scriptures that talk about like, specifically when it comes to anxiety, like fear not. And, you know, all of this, like overcome it sort of thing, like bring your worries to the Lord and like, you'll find peace. And I'm like, but freaking how though, <laughs> like I, I don't experience that. And then it, the shame that comes with that of like, oh, I must be doing something wrong. I'm not close enough with God. I'm not like trusting the Holy spirit enough, like faith, the size of a mustard seed. Like, I don't think anyone is directly saying therapy is wrong. Therapy is bad. And I think there's a lot of subtle messages, whether the way that scripture is taught or the way that people like want you to feel safe and lack of understanding of what mental health actually is that create some of that shame or some of that guilt around needing to look outside of the body for help. So interesting. I feel like you spelled out because <laughs> my, a lot of my experiences with, uh, my mental health journey and therapy and medication, um, I was telling Becca and Vanessa beforehand, cause we were all kind of summarizing the messaging we received, you know, growing mm-hmm. up, um, that maybe made us feel a certain way about therapy or medication or mental health in general and seeking help outside of the church for that. And kind of all of the verses that you brought up, yeah, be cast your cares before the Lord, be anxious for nothing. Um, you know, all of those things. And I really felt like if I, were close enough to God or were, was praying harder or was more focused on, you know, the truth or whatever that, that kind of other stuff would fix itself. Um, and then when it doesn't, you feel that shame because you're not Mm -hmm. fixing it by focusing hard enough, which in turn, oddly enough, makes your anxiety worse. (laughs) (laughs) So it just becomes this, this cycle that just kind of builds upon and like keeps getting worse, you know? And so I remember when I first got help and started seeing a therapist and they were like, Hey, you have anxiety and you have depression. And I mean, I already knew I had ADHD, but you know, when they said you have anxiety and depression, I remember it felt like a bomb dropped Mm. and I felt so, um, like something was wrong with me and I was totally broken. And I don't know, somehow it felt like somehow all my fault. And is that something that you've seen? Yeah. And I think that that fuels the cycle, right? Like I tried and I 
wasn't able to fix everything. So then I got outside help and now I feel shame about it, which reminds me of my quote brokenness and how much I need the Lord to be saved. Cause I'm so like jacked up. And so then it like drives this like hyper-dependence. I also think this tendency of, um, one of the things I will say that's been hardest for me is the lack of like ability to trust myself that I think the church unintentionally, but sometimes it feels like intentionally, uh, feeds, you know, of like, um, for me to know. So for example, I, um, just experienced depression for the first time in my life this last year. And I've like had clients of my own with depression. I've like worked with clients with depression for several years and yet never had experienced that myself. And there was literally nothing that would have helped me except medication at that point. Like my brain chemistry was not functioning at a level that I could move myself out of it by literally anything. And so thank God for pharmaceuticals. And I think about the way that like, if I had a infection, you know, I would definitely get antibiotics, like, because my body needs help to get back to a level playing field. And so the same is true with our brains. And so that, that shame, that cycle of like, there's just something so deeply wrong with me. And if I feel like it's, makes me a bad Christian in order to seek help, then the inability then to like, I don't have resources and I'm supposed to just try harder, especially if depression, like I'm feeling fatigued, I'm feeling energylessness, I'm feeling hopeless. Like with what capacity can you try harder? Mm. So it just is not enough. And, um, yeah, that's, that's been really, I've seen that cause a lot of pain uh, in my own life, but also friends and clients as well. Yeah. We were talking about how, you know, when you get a diagnosis of like, oh, you have asthma, then you're like, okay, great. Now I know what the problem is. I treat it. What can I do? And I try to live my life knowing that I have asthma, but I have resources to help me through it. And why is it that a a mental health diagnosis doesn't feel that same way, but there feels like all of this other shame. And I I was wondering if it has to do at all with the fact that the church has kind of decided that there's a morality to feelings. Like Mm. some feelings are good and some feelings are bad. And if you feel these feelings, you are bad. When, at least what I've learned through therapy and through, you know, growing in my own inner work, there's no morality to feelings. Feelings are just feelings and we feel them. And of course, what we choose to do afterwards is where we can kind of decide what kind of person we want to be, but we don't get to pick our feelings necessarily. Um, so to be made to feel like you're a bad person because you are feeling something almost, I don't know, adds again, that, that the layers of shame are endless. It seems like when it comes to this, um, do you have, like, do you experience that as well when you're working with clients or even with yourself that it's not the same as any other clinical diagnosis? It feels like, it feels like there's like, I don't know, more stigma to it. Yeah. A, a thousand percent. Like no one questions getting treatment for cancer. Not really like not on a vast scale. It's like, Oh, let's get you chemo. And also let's pray for you. But when it's mental health, it's like, whoa, this is a different, you know, you're addicted. All of a sudden there's like, we'll just stop using, or it's like, we'll just feel happier thoughts. Well, like if you're having anger outbursts, we'll just 
you know, like pray when you're angry and you'll feel better. It's like, what? That is so not how feelings work. Like neuro neurologically, that's not how emotions work in our body. And so sometimes I like part of my beef sometimes with the church is the discount of science. Right. And so like, no need to go deep into lots of ways that that connects with our world right now. But when it comes to like mental health, even that idea of like emotions are by choice or emotions are completely within our control. I think that we all have a responsibility to like learn to feel and do so responsibly in a way that like doesn't severely harm ourselves and other people, right? Like that's maturity, that's learning. Um, but in terms of healing from things or dealing with things like we do that by feeling there is no other way. And so we can't solve a problem that we don't understand. So if I don't understand why I'm anxious, what my triggers are in the, some ways, like how certain relationships, even within the church, certain messages in the church feed that anxiety, feed that pressure that you feel to be a certain way to act a certain way to like, do or don't certain things. Like there's just no way you can't just move around things. You have to go through things. And the way that we go through is by feeling, um, in a way that's authentic and in a place that's safe. And that's, that's the difference too, between a, a therapist and some random friend or mentor in the church. It's like, yeah, you don't know how to guide me through that. Or like, you want me to feel better. Cause we all hate people. We love being in pain. So I totally get it. You know, we want to help people feel better and therapy. That's not the point of therapy. It's like, yeah, you're going to feel bad. And when you feel bad, you're going to heal through it too, you know? And so even that, um, is really different, which I will say is one reason why I love the story of Job. Like that dude had some shitty stuff happen in his life. And it's one of my favorite stories. Cause it's like, wow, the messiness of being a human, you know, like I just, I love it. And no one was there saying like, oh, but look on the bright side or like, let's pray about this together or be grateful for what you have, or it could be so much worse. Think about the children in Africa, <laughs> you know, like no one was there saying any of that to him. And I just kind of like, love it. Like suffering is a whole different way that we find and experience God or our higher being or a different level of ourselves even. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cause I nerd out over neuroscience things. Can you elaborate on the science of feelings it was one of the, one of the big things for me with my own journey and with therapy and, and something that I've talked about with uh, Amber and Vanessa is that feelings were a really hard thing for me because I feel a lot of them, but then growing up in modern American evangelicalism, I was taught you can't trust what you're feeling because it's evil or it's going to lead you astray. And so because of that, I struggle as an adult now, even knowing what I'm feeling and then being able to take action on it in any sort of helpful way. But I think that that idea of that Vanessa said that feelings are not good or bad in and of itself is like a whole mountain that sometimes you have to climb mentally because for a lot of us, we were taught, oh, that feeling is evil. So like, don't feel it. And that's not a healthy mindset. So I think it would be really fascinating maybe to hear more about that. Yeah. I mean, that's so spot on what Vanessa said, like feelings aren't, um, 
good or bad, they are information that let us know how we're doing. And so if we think about ourselves in parts, like we have this a mental part, this very cognitive part of us, we have this heart part that is our feelings and a whole different like center of intelligence. And then we have our gut instincts. We have our body, like all of those systems have to work together to communicate like how we're doing. And so I think what's helpful in mental health is to know that our feelings are part of the whole story, right? Cause there is some not like risk, but it's not most helpful to let our feelings be totally in charge or our head be totally in charge or our gut, like what we just instinctually feel be totally in charge, right? Like being able to be in touch with all of them and help them work together. That integration work is a huge part of therapy. And so, you know, just so that's out there first, but in terms of feelings, so there's a modality um, or a therapeutic orientation called emotion focused therapy, which is definitely what I always look for when I'm finding a therapist, like a new season of my life. I'm like, I definitely need a therapist who's trained in EFT because especially for me, my heart is like, I love it. And it's the hardest, deepest part of me that I am least in touch with. Mm. And for me, it's where like the depth of my truth lies. So like my head is super accessible to me. I'm like always, my head is running a thousand miles an hour. Um, and I'm super problem solving. So I'll like, you know, try anything. And, but I don't often connect to my heart and say, but what do I want though? Like, how do I feel? Where am I feeling vulnerable in this? Mm. What am I feeling that I wish I wasn't feeling that I'm trying to bury or annoy or ignore? And so, um, I need a lot of help in that space. So, um, and it's also the practice that I do with a lot of clients EFT. So essentially the, the premise of emotionally focused therapy is that, um, there's an experience in us that is like, so for example, let me say it like this. If you ever like go to a place and you smell something. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I'm way back to when I was five at this picnic in the backyard where mm -hmm. I smelled this thing, things like that. So whether it's something that we're smelling or something that we're experiencing or a place that we go, like our body holds memories, they mm -hmm. hold emotions. And so unless we understand what's coming up, we can't really heal what's there. So I also take a really psychodynamic approach in therapy, which essentially is like everything links back to childhood. And so I know we kind of like, it's, that's funny, right? Like in movies, it's like, how do you feel? Like, let's talk about when you were a child, but it's so true. And so when we're young, we develop ways of being in the world, our personality, our ego structure develops. And that is essentially like, how do we protect ourselves? How do we get our needs met and protect ourselves for our entire life? And so unless we intentionally notice those things and work to heal some of those things, we will operate with that same ego structure forever. Mm -hmm. So it might have worked when we were eight or 15, but is it necessary? And is it serving us now when we're 30? Mm -hmm. So being able to pay attention to that. So the neuroscience geeky part that I love it's called neural pathways. And it's this idea that like, as we do things over and over, our brain kind of digs this path. And so we are naturally prone to like, have that same narrative, have that same experience, make that same choice because that divot in our brain is really deep. Mm -hmm. So emotion focused therapy and connecting it back to like early life experiences allows us to like heal the initial reason of why we go down that path and start to make a new path. So like 
years ago, early brain science was like, oh, our brains are the way that they are and it can't really be changed. But modern neuroscience really shows us like our brains are actually really amazing and they can go totally different ways. Um, and that doesn't happen just by like thinking different, you know, it's like, it's very emotional. And so in order to stop choosing unhealthy partners in our life. Like that's not just because you're dumb or because you're like desperate or you have poor self-esteem, like, you know, like, let's talk about what happened at one point where you felt so unworthy or you felt like you had to do certain things in order to be loved. Like we have to talk about the feelings there that you have. It's not just a bad decision that's in your head. So I think that's the heart part of like, but why though? Why do I do this thing? What's driving it? Not just change the behavior or think different. Mm -hmm. um, and the why lives in our feelings. It lives in our heart. Yeah. So. I remember when I first realized or, or conceptualized of feelings as energy, um, that really helped me to realize that just like energy cannot be created or destroyed, it's just transferred. When I thought of my emotions as energy, I realized I can't destroy it. <laughs> I can't just say, I don't like you. I don't want you here. Delete. You're gone. It actually needs to be processed and transferred. And that changed everything for me because then I saw it as this entity that, yes, had information for me that had a message to give to me. Okay, I'm feeling this way because mm. why? And, and how do I follow that trail, those breadcrumbs, those emotional breadcrumbs all the way down to find where the wound is, where the, the pain is and begin to wrap that part of me up in love. And then even in my body processing things out. I mean, we've talked a little bit about some somatic stuff that we've been doing as we were healing in our deconstruction journey, but seeing my emotions as energy even helped me to realize, oh, sometimes I need to shake. Sometimes I need to laugh and let my chest like, like vibrate with my laughter. Sometimes I need to scream like these energies, if I don't process them, they get stuck and they stay and they hold all this tension and they compound all of what I'm carrying. So anyways, just that visual of them being energy has been so helpful for me as I'm like relearning what my emotions actually are. Hey friends, if you are enjoying the podcast, we would love if you would take just a quick minute to leave us a review wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Those reviews let us know what episodes are resonating the most deeply with you. And they also help our podcast to get in front of the eyes of other people who might be interested in the same topics. And if you never want to miss an episode, all you have to do is text us the word updates to 770-904-9222. And we will send you a text message each time new episodes drop or anytime we have exciting announcements or information. Hey guys, if you're enjoying this conversation, we would love to hear your questions and comments, possibly even answering them in a follow-up episode. You can head to www.askptw.com and shoot us a text message, or if you're comfortable, send us a voice message that we might use in a future episode. Let's dive back in. I want to ask slash talk about a little bit about the privilege of therapy and of like kind of this inner work. And then, um, 
for people who either, because it, it really is a, a privilege to be able to both time-wise, um, where you're at in life, financially, where you live, you know, all of these things are kind of different privileges or different spaces where you might be able to like go into therapy or connect with somebody to get that growth. And there are people who either just aren't ready or who are overwhelmed or who can't afford it or find the time. And so for those people who realize, you know, there's something off, (laughs) I am not who I want to be or responding how I want to be, but I can't necessarily make that jump into like, okay, I'm going on this self-growth therapy journey. You know, what are some real tangible uh, ideas or steps that that those people can take to either find grace for themselves where they're at or to move towards, towards health or healing? Yeah, that is a great question. I mean, that's totally spot on. Like good therapy is not cheap. Uh, good therapy is not always convenient. A lot of times therapy happens during the day hours. So if you work a nine to five, that is more difficult. I am grateful for a lot of like the mental health industry is starting to really pay more attention to that, where we used to be like, you have to come to an office, right? Like the COVID world kind of shook everyone in every industry to say, how can we do things different? How can we make our services more accessible? So there are some great services online, like, you know, the better help or like, you know, talk, I think it's called talk space where you can go on and find someone. It's still not cheap necessarily, um, depending on like what people's budget is, but in terms of time and flexibility, like that, that's a great resource. Financially speaking, there's a few things. So a lot of times insurance, right? Like you can check your insurance and see what insurances will pay for and cover if there's people in your area. There's also things like when I was in grad school, we had a free clinic where grad students would get to practice our therapy essentially. And so community members could come in and it was donation-based, but most people paid nothing because they couldn't. And so it was great experience for us, um, but also free services for them. So for anybody who lives in an area where there's a university that is training students in therapy, like definitely check into that. A lot of places will have that. Um, So that's a great resource as well. I also think in terms of especially if people are not ready to take that leap. I just want to give a little nugget of support that sometimes there's a feeling of I'm going to go into therapy and then I have no power. Like I'm just going to like sob for days, you know, and be super overwhelmed, like dealing with trauma that I've never faced. And so I just want to remind people and empower anyone listening to know that like you're in charge. And if at any point, like you can say to your therapist, I'm not ready for that, or that's overwhelming, or that feels like too much. And your therapist they need to respect that if they don't, let's find you another one, but that you're in charge of your process. And so just knowing that like, no one forces you to face more than you're ready because it is overwhelming and some things are painful. And I remember saying at one point, you know, I had processed, processed a lot of dad stuff. And then my therapist kind of like poked at my mom and I'm like, Nope, I'm only allowed to have one bad parent at a time. Like I can't go down that road right now. And so, you know, like that was important for her to respect and for me to be able to say, so just from that emotional standpoint as well, but for anybody who's like, I just am Wait, not ready just, to even, could we just pause for a minute? I think that's so important. Yeah. Like 
especially for those of us who are deconstructing from spaces where we gave up our autonomy over our Mm -hmm. own growth and we couldn't question or even say, I'm not ready to face this. Well, then you're being prideful and you don't really want to change, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. just that in and of itself, I feel like is a part of us reclaiming our agency. So anyways, I just needed to like shine a a light on what you just said, because I I don't think you could say it enough. And I think it's super important, super important. Yeah, that's so true, right? Like someone is in charge of us at the church, right? And you don't really challenge your pastor. Like they're in charge and you're like under their shepherdship, right? And so a therapist um, is also in charge and you should just let them do whatever. Like, nope, they're another human and you're in charge of your process in the same way that you go to a doctor and they can make suggestions for your body, but you're the one that consents to that treatment or not. So Mm. great point. Yeah, it's funny. You had also mentioned, um, like you just said the word parents and immediately I was like, there's a bucket load. Um, because I feel, especially when you're coming from a religious background, um, you know, it's all about honoring your father and mother and, and that kind of thing. And I know that's sometimes a hard thing to unpack, especially if it's a decent relationship that there can still be things that you need to heal from and trauma even if you're not harboring any anger, I know, you know, uh, I won't say any names. Never mind. <laughs> um, I don't want to call anybody out. Um, but I know somebody who said, well, it's not like I was being abused like this person who was like locked in a closet for days or, you know, it's not like I went through that and I'm looking at them going like, yeah, but this is still hurtful that happened to you. And like, I can see the threads of it, you know, still affecting you today. And so you don't necessarily have to have some big blowout abusive upbringing or what you feel like is more traumatic. Cause yes, people do go through far more traumatic things than most of us do. I feel like, especially in religious circles, people tend to negate their trauma and their experiences and their pain because it's not as bad as someone else's. Yeah. A thousand percent. I mean, I think that that comes partially from the messaging of like, be grateful for what you have, like this, uh, tendency to like, not be sad or to not grieve or to not feel negative feelings. Like we should be optimistic people that are like, are aware of the suffering of like how bad things could be. Right. The other thing I will say, this is something I'm just newly processing, but the duality that is in Christianity is so toxic for mental health in the sense that like the idea in the church is right. We have good and bad, right. And wrong, black and white, evil and light. And I understand that from like a theological standpoint. Right. So I'm not hating on that, but what I am saying is that forces our brains to then say, well, my experience wasn't bad, so it must be good. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, where we're like, my parents loved me. They didn't hit me in the face. Therefore, I also can't feel that they hurt me when they spoke to me a certain way, or they were Mm -hmm. mostly good. Right. So like that tendency to, to not allow space for the gray, that things have to have to be all or nothing is really difficult for human brains to process as a whole, but especially within the church, because of the duality that is taught uh, that like, 
everything is one or it's so just everything is so binary, right? Like one or the other. And so, so much of our work is like, I can be grateful and frustrated at the same time. I can be loved by my parents and be wounded by them. I can be grateful for my church and have issues with some of the things they teach. Like things are not black and white. And I have so much energy from you. Just like, I could literally run around the living room right now. Like I'm feeling it like, because it just hits so close. And that's something even personally, like, cause that just, I mean, that hits on all cylinders in so many areas of our culture and life, but even personally, and that's something Vanessa's really helped me with is with my mental health. If I would mess up or my husband was unhappy with something in a way I was behaving, that was like being hurtful to him. Then I would just immediately fall off a cliff into I'm a terrible wife. I suck, you know, in my depression and it would just all start to spiral and being able to kind of personally sit in that gray, not just about like topics and world and culture, but like personally sit in that gray of like, no, I'm a good wife and I could be doing better in this way. That was monumental (laughs) for me personally. And so I, I never really thought about that in a way that was, um, that, that broad, that, that broad subject of the, the duality and the binary and the good and bad and the gray, because I had made that kind of connection between religion and that with, you know, everything else in my entire world ever, but not personally how that affected me personally. So it's, it's interesting to see that that kind of aspect of individual mental health and all of that connecting to that same, uh, not aspect, that same principle of religion growing up. And that's like, oh man. Okay. Well, I'm about to break into a praise dance. You guys, (laughs) somebody get me a flag and a tambourine. (laughs) Just kidding. I never did that, but you know, (laughs) speak for yourself. Um, no that's not true I did I did ribbon dance so let's not talk about it (laughs) I love it no but I we've talked about like the allure of certainty the allure of putting everything in a box like and even parts of us that just longs to go back to that like oh I wish I could just say never be angry Vanessa so anytime you feel angry you just stuff it down like life feels simpler when that's the solution. And yet I think all of us have gotten to that point where our bodies have just broken down to the point where we're like, even if I wanted to have that be the case, (laughs) I no longer can function in that way that would support that kind of, um, that kind of approach. Uh, yeah. So, well, and that happens, I I think that happens sometimes your body does it for you, you know, like at, some point your body's just like, no, like we're, mm-hmm. we're done. I, that's what happened to me. I, I have had multiple times now where I've dealt with depression and I didn't realize it was happening either until it lifted or until something happened in my life. Like somebody came to me and was like, something's not right. Or it impeded my life so much that I had to face the reality of it. And I, I've learned through therapy, especially my most recent bout that I struggled to pay attention to the signs 
to my feelings. I struggle to even know what I'm feeling, even though my personality is of like a very highly feeling person, I struggle to identify them. So it's like, I feel all of this intensity, but I struggle to like filter it into its buckets and be like, oh no, that's, that's, that's sad. That's not just tired or that's not just frustration. Like that's sad. And like, we can deal with that, you know? And so I think that sometimes we hit this point where our bodies catapult us, especially if we've been disconnected from how our heart, from how we feel, which I think, especially women who grew up during purity culture, during American height of American evangelicalism, we were separated. We were taught, we can't trust our bodies. They're evil. They're bad. The, like the whole original sin, like Eve paradox of like, don't ask questions, don't challenge things, don't follow your curiosity. Like all of this is bad. And so we learn like, okay, I can't trust myself. So we go through our whole life, not trusting ourselves, And eventually our bodies just like shut down. I, I, that was my experience. And I've talked to a lot of other women who it was like, it's kind of sad and embarrassing to say, like, it wasn't, we didn't even realize we needed it. It was literally, our bodies were just like, you are done you need to go fix this. We go no further until you fix that. I was explaining to, actually it was Amber and Vanessa that were my, my red flag this last time. They were like, Hey, you're not okay. How you're talking is not normal. Like the things you're saying is not you, like you, you might want to go talk to someone. And it helped me to actually see it. I didn't realize it in myself. I was just like on autopilot. I mean, I don't know if you have any insight on that or advice for people who are maybe in this and they're not even realizing those things. Like they're not even, they're just on this autopilot. They're disconnected. Yeah. Well, I think because our, we don't typically create a life rhythm that allows us to check in with ourselves and say, but how are you really doing? Like really. And the tricky thing is with mental health is it's in our brains. So we don't have the capacity to look with a healthy brain at our (laughs) struggling brain and say, love, you're not doing so hot. Like, let's go get some support. When my, if I break a leg or like my knee starts hurting, I, my body doesn't ask my, my head permission to hurt. It just hurts. But when my brain is hurting, it can't like ask my own brain for permission. It just starts hurting, but then I don't have a separate brain to look at that hurting brain and say, you're not okay. Mm -hmm. So, and especially in depression, like it is so slow, right. Moving there. It's not like you wake up and you're depressed Mm -hmm. when you're depressed. It feels like, well, such is life, right. There's this apathy. There's this like lowness, there's this numbness. And a lot of times with depression, it's, I don't even like feel super sad. I don't have to feel suicidal. I don't have to feel like the extreme. I just feel numbed out. And that's, I was Googling, can you be depressed, but not sad? I legitimately, and Becca, you can cut this out if you want. I was like, Becca, you're depressed. And she was like, but I'm not sad. I just don't want to get out of bed or do anything. And I don't care about anything that happens. And I was like, that's the literal <laughs> definition of depression. Yes. Depression it's is like sadness. Yeah. It's so hard because it's, it's how you experience the world. So you don't realize that how you're experiencing it is 
is off kilter. You and know? it feels and true. It feels just like life. And it's almost yeah. like that story about like boiling a frog, you know, like the water gets turned up and turned up. So like you're a little off for a while and a little off for a while. So it's never a dramatic, I mean, maybe it is sometimes, but not often a dramatic enough shift to make you be like, oh, I woke up feeling bad today. Like you just yeah. feel progressively worse until you like lose your muchness and you just, yeah. you just don't have anything to give. You just feel so apathetic. Yep. That's a hundred percent facts. And I think that's an, an, a reason why people don't, aren't able to take, um, aren't able to advocate for themselves. Like I need help because it's like, do I, this is just how I feel. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really confusing experience for the person who's struggling. So I do think, um, there are some practices and Amber kind of asked this earlier, but one of the things that we can do for ourselves in the meantime is having a, a steady practice of checking in on how we're really doing, especially if we know mental health is something that is kind of a struggle for us. So depending on how often we need it and depending on like the season of life we're in, sometimes I'm doing this for myself daily or like a few times a day, if I'm really struggling and I have the energy, or sometimes I'm doing it like once a week or once a month, or, you know, I'm in therapy actively. Right. So like, that's my check-in sort of thing, but being able to say like, here's how I'm doing on an, whatever the symptoms are that show up for us, right? Like they're usually the same. So if you tend to lean more towards sadness, or if you tend to lean more towards anger, you tend to lean. Let's even talk about like overabundance of positivity. Like mm-hmm. that's also a sign of mental health. And like, we could talk about depression and sadness and numbness and anger, but also this like hyper avoidance of pain mm-hmm. by silver lining, everything by being super avoidant by numbing out and being like, Oh, I just like love this show on Netflix. I'm going to watch it for 12 days in a row all day and do nothing <laughs> like, okay. You might not be like, feeling super dark and hopeless over here, but you are not yourself. And so whatever the sign is for you, that your body and your brain and your heart, whatever is starting to go off, checking in on those from a symptomatic standpoint, even because when we say like, how am I feeling? It's like, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and then, yeah. and then you have no barometer. So maybe yeah. instead of asking, how are you feeling? Maybe you're asking symptomatically, mm-hmm. how often am I seeing people now versus how often I'd like to see people? How much time am I spending zoning out on my phone versus doing something engaging like gardening or painting or whatever the thing going for a run, right? Like symptomatically what's different. And so that is a way to objectively help us know how we're doing when our hearts or brains feel like a little bit off. I also think when we're talking from the church standpoint, again, bringing it back to, um, the, the ideas of like not being able to trust our body or behavior, even like rather than judging that behavior or, Oh, see, I fell off the, by the way, diet culture is a whole other thing, but like, I fell off the bandwagon or like, I fell off my eating. Well, it's like, okay, but can we talk about why, Mm -hmm. you know? And so let's use the symptoms as like an objective scale, but not add any judgments onto why your behavior is doing the thing that it is. And instead come towards yourself to come compassionately. And also I think the other thing, even like we were talking earlier, if you can't afford therapy or just doesn't work in your life for some reason, then being able to have, I would say like, um, two to four really safe people in your life that you can go to and you can just straight up say, do I seem okay to you? I've been feeling off and I don't know if I'm 
okay? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what's your opinion? And someone who's loving and safe and supportive and non-judgmental and on your team. And, you know, you can even coach them when you're in a healthy headspace to say, this is what I need to hear from you in those moments. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to have capacity to ask for you to do this thing for me, but this is what I need when I'm struggling. And mm-hmm. so then they know how to show up for you in a way that feels supportive and loving, even when you're not able to like directly ask for those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's things in there. Everybody's like, we have stuff that was so good. <laughs> uh, one of the things you, when you hit that on that, like symptom list, like questions to ask ourselves, I feel like that was so, so helpful good. and good. And you said something else, um, that reminded me of something Vanessa was saying earlier, um, about, you know, checking in and reflecting on yourself. And Vanessa was talking about kind of growing up thinking that, that wasn't a thing that was really allowed or healthy or good. Um, Vanessa, do you want to talk about moving past that a little bit? (laughs) Yeah. Well, kind of going back to messages that we grew up hearing about therapy, I grew up with a very negative um, approach or perspective on therapy that basically said, well, therapy is just navel gazing. You're just self-centered. You're just talking about yourself, thinking about yourself, looking at yourself and you know, we only heal when we are looking at Jesus. So it's kind of like, get your eyes off of yourself, just look to God. And therapy is basically a waste of time because you're just being self self centered and self-focused. And, you know, it's just one of the scriptures that was used to support that was the heart is wicked and deceitful beyond all things who can know it. And so the the response to that was kind of like, so don't even try to know yourself just listen to these authorities that are going to tell you who to be, what to do, how to behave. And I was talking with a friend about that scripture verse, and she and I were talking about some chair work that we had been doing. And so chair work is kind of where you sit in one chair and you speak as one part of yourself, and then you sit in the other chair and speak as this other part of yourself. And you're kind of parsing out and dissecting like what parts of myself have um, embedded these beliefs And how do I feel about that? And how do I, do I actually want to continue to uphold these beliefs? And it's this whole internal inquiry. And I was like, what if that's what it actually means in the Bible when it says that there's this internal deception that we all kind of participate in where we kind of, you know, ascribe to these delusions of unworthiness or these narratives about who we are and maybe the reaction to that scripture is not to leave ourselves and cling on to some authority's advice, but actually to come to ourselves and actually look at ourselves and start to find where the deception lies and what is actually aligned with love and start to tease that apart. And that actually we're not leaving the divine to come into ourselves. It's one and the same, right? We're returning. We're not, we're not like taking our eyes off of Jesus to look at ourselves. There's actually beauty and and information to be found when we come home to ourselves. And that's been a really interesting perspective on that. And when you were saying those check-in points, oh my gosh, my, my um, therapist always, always, every time she gets me, she, we start off and she's like, how are you doing? And I'm always like, great, but I don't even think about it. I'm literally not even thinking about it. I'm just like, I'm doing great. How are you? And then she just pauses. She's like this older Indian woman who has like this soul that just somehow like comes through the screen and like wrecks me. She just pauses and she looks and she goes, 
how are you doing? Right. I'm sure we've all had this experience. And then all of a sudden I'm just like, but like, I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't even like I was faking on that first response. Like I wasn't, Mm -mm. I was just like, no, I'm fine. Um, so that's one head. I was just in my head and I was just thinking, I don't know. It's just the conditioned response, right. Of the upbeat, positive. I'm great. How are you? Um, but another thing for me, cause I don't have a lot of connection to my feelings. Typically, I usually don't know when someone, and this is just a me thing. And this is where I would say, play around with some of these for yourself. But when someone who I trust and I, and I feel safe with comes up to me and just hugs me like a real long, good hug. And I start weeping and I don't even know why that's my check-in. That's my check-in with myself when I don't even know that I'm not okay. It's like, can you just hold me for a second? And something about that, I don't know what it is, just releases in me that it's like my body feels safe enough when I'm held to let out some of those emotions. And so that's been really helpful for me to just know how my own internal like nervous system works that if I'm having trouble (laughs) connecting with that, it's usually because my body does not feel safe in the environment that it's in to release that information to me. And I have to ensure myself a sense of safety in order for the emotions to even be noticeable. Like it takes a whole thing just for me to figure out what, <laughs> what I need. And a lot of times it has to do with my body. Like a lot of times though, my, um, my therapist will say, okay, if you don't know how you feel like feelings wise, how do you feel in your body? What do you feel in your body? And I can always tell her tension in my neck or something tight in my stomach or my throat feels really thick. And then the, the other day we were doing a session. I was like, my throat feels really thick thick. I feel like I need to cry, but I can't. And so she said, what if you just stroked your throat and just put love toward that part of your body? And I did it for a few seconds. And all of a sudden I was just like crying and crying and crying. And what was, what was trapped and not able to come out. It was only through love and gentleness that I was able to like release some of these emotions that I've told myself are not allowed. Like there's this whole like deconstructing from an environment and then deconstructing from my own internal environment that I maybe gleaned from that, but remains, even though I've left. And that has been also really interesting to like explore in myself. Mm. Oh my gosh. I wanted to cry like four times when you were saying that <laughs> because like, I just believe that we're all little kids anyway. Like we have these big bodies, but like, we're just little kids, you know, who want to be held, who want to feel safe. And, you know, for me, the, the space where I usually like when I wasn't doing regular emotional check-ins, it was at the end of my yoga practice where we would be laying in the final pose. And then all of a sudden, you know, she would, you know, like our, the um, yoga leader teacher would have this like sweet music playing or she would do some sound work and I would just like lay there and like little tears would (laughs) fall you know out of my eyes into my hair and I'm like you know I I have tried really hard to even stop asking like why are you crying or what does this mean but just to like let my body breathe you know like I don't have to use my head to give my body permission that is something I feel like in my process of deconstruction to ridding myself of what, like the shoulds 
or giving my, trying to like find a way to give myself permission to feel what I feel or to think what I think. And so that comes to me, like all of that disappears when I'm in my body, because I'm just able to like be where my body is. And, um, you know, I, I, I've said this before, but Um, you know, growing up, like we spend so much time the first like 18 years of our lives. Um, I guess not quite, maybe depending on when you stop school, but, um, you know, training our brains in school, like it's very heady. We do a lot of work on expanding our brains and then we have PE classes and athletics. We do a lot of work on our bodies in terms of making them work from like a fitness standpoint, but not ever like body intuition. So the body intuition part connecting to ourselves in that way, but also our like heart or soul, we do zero work on that. No one teaches us how to feel. No one teaches us how to interpret those feelings, how to communicate those feelings, how to allow ourselves to work through those feelings. It is literally like learning a new language. And a lot of times I will tell clients that like, you know, most of us tend to rely on one or two emotions for most of our life. And then if we're doing our integration work and growing, we start to add in another few. And usually when those first ones come in, they, they, um, I had a professor once who described it like a wobbling toddler where it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like I'm starting to walk, but I kind of like I'm falling over and I'm really wobbly. And it's like that emotionally too, you know, like if you've never allowed yourself to feel anger, then when you first start to allow it, it might feel really explosive and terrifying. It will not always be that way, but you kind of got to like, let the pendulum swing and allow yourself there. Or if you've locked out sadness for a long time, like I wonder Vanessa for you and for me and for any of us who go into therapy and it's like, (laughs) like, you know, those big chunky sobs, it's like, oh, wow. I wonder how many times I've been sad this week that I didn't let myself feel it. And now it's gushing out. Um, same with joy. I actually feel like, because I have a lot of things of how I grew up. Joy has been the hardest and the last emotion for me to learn to feel. It hasn't felt safe to feel joy because what I've processed in my own therapy work is if I'm already down, nothing can really hurt me. Right. Like, and I realized cognitively how sad that sounds, but emotionally it feels, it feels like survival. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, I can't endure more suffering. I can't endure more disappointment. So I won't have to, if I just feel kind of like, whatever, apathetic towards life. And so now I'm at a point where I'm like, wow, that's not really working anymore. Right. So I had, I have not said this anywhere actually. And I might have a little vulnerability hangover. Um, when I experienced depression earlier this year, I've always had this thought, my brother and I have joked about it. Like, Oh, life is hard. It'd be fine if we died tomorrow, you know, like just whatever this apathy towards life. But when I was depressed, I started having feelings like, okay, now this is crossing over from I'd be okay to die and crossing over into like, it would be nice to die. I Mm. kind of want to die. And that for me was like, Whoa, this is different this is a whole level, different level of thinking. Right. So that for me was that sign of like, I need help at this point. My brain is not functioning well, because I've never had this thought. And I know professionally (laughs) that this is a concerning thought, even though in my body right now, in my heart and mind, it doesn't feel scary. It feels relieving. Mm -hmm. And that was so important to me 
to notice because as I process that in my own therapy, it's not that I actually wanted to die. It's that I wanted the pain to stop. Mm-hmm. I wanted relief. And that is true of every depressed suicidal client I've ever had. Mm-hmm. It's not that they actually want to die. It's that they feel hopeless that the pain will ever end. And so, wow, that is a completely different way of how we treat clients mm-hmm. and, um, being able to like come at ourselves really compassionately in that and say, yes, you're telling yourself that it could be worse. Yes. You're telling yourself all the things you could be grateful for. Yes. You're trying really hard and praying really hard. And also this is still so real for you. So what are we missing here? Like, how do we dig deep and figure out what's lacking? And for me, part of it was the fear around feeling joy of like feeling gratitude. And especially I will say now that I've deconstructed so much of my faith and I'm not living like that super devoted Christian life, like trying to save people for Jesus all day, right. That I once was, especially in the evangelical church, I was just processing this week with my therapist, how much how difficult it is for me to feel permission to love my life now Mm -hmm. because I feel freer and I feel more like in love with people. And I've like never been connected with humanity in, in like this genuine, like deep of a, I just like love all the humans and I love the earth. And I like have so much more love than I ever had because when I was really in the church for me, it was rules and pressure and be this way and do this thing. And I was so controlled. Um, and I don't know if I was controlling me, God was controlling me. The church was controlling me. Right. I'm still dissecting a lot of that, but there was just so much like obsession around what I should and shouldn't be doing and what was right and wrong and okay. And not okay. And now I'm like, Oh my God, I'm just like free to love myself. And like, you know, Vanessa, you said something earlier that I was like, um, the idea around, your heart is wicked. And one thing that comes with me in my faith now is God is in us, right? Like we are, God is within us. We are God. I think that we're a part of God. If we're built in his image, right? Like there's certain parts of Christianity that super still resonate with me. And so if God is in me and I am him or her, right? However we want to call it, then am I not so fucking good? Like, am I not so fucking beautiful? I'm like fucking amazing, you know? And even to be able to say that and like settle in that while I'm also saying the word fuck in the same sentence, <laughs> which I was never allowed to say, like, whoa, <laughs> mind boggling, you yeah. know? So mm-hmm. like, yeah, my world feels rocked in that way, but it's it's been like a wild <laughs> process the last several months, especially. I can very much relate to so much of what you said when you were talking about depression and And getting to that point of like, I would rather not be alive. I was telling Beck and Vanessa, that's where I got to right before I realized like, I, okay, I finally have to get on medication. Um, because it was very much, it wasn't that I wanted to kill myself or that I necessarily wanted to die. I just felt like it was too much and people would be better if they just didn't have to deal with me. And Mm -hmm. I like, it really was a very dark place that I never thought I would get to. So I fully, you know, relate to that. And thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Um, and then going to the whole church and like your heart being wicked. And it's funny, even it also, I think went to, you were talking about separating, um, body and mind and, and all of that. And I think, 
our feelings and like our heart and our body. Like it was like, all that mattered was the soul. And so what we did to our bodies didn't necessarily matter. It was just a thing to be controlled. And I think it was the same way with our feelings. And it was just this thing we sort of had to deal with until we could get to the promised land and not have to worry about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think not only, I think it impacts so much about our mental health, not just the fact that our bodies, like we are in these bodies, it's all integrated. It's all a part of being healthy and we're on the same team, me and my body. And so being able to like relate to your body, as far as like growing in your mental health and then in how you relate to everybody else too, because I think part of that kind of separation of body and mind and heart also it makes us care less about you were talking about being feeling more loving towards everything. I absolutely relate to that because before it's like, well, if all this is evil and going down anyway, like then all I really need to focus on is eternity. And now I am much more present in what's happening today and who I am today and who I'm loving today, what's happening to those around me and what's happening to the earth. It's a much more loving, compassionate, integrated way of living. I have to say, and part of me, like you were talking about feeling a little bad for that. I do still kind of feel a little guilty <laughs> that it's so much better. I'm sorry, God. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm working on it. We'll get there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just processed like, so I was talking about faith in my last, this, this last same week in therapy. And I, my therapist asked like, what do you feel like God would say to you right now in this moment? And I said, I think God would be like, I'm so fucking proud of you. Mm-hmm. Apparently there's a lot of fucks for me now. Like, it's just like, <laughs> it can be a holy word. Yes. I feel the same, just impassionated. Mm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it was like, wow, the feeling that God could be proud of me in this space feels so bizarre. And like, wow, is that blasphemous? Right? Like there's like the old Christian me that's like, that's, he would never, you know? And I'm like, yes, she would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just, I was just taking a walk today and I'm listening to this book and, and I don't even remember what it said. Usually this happens. Like, I don't even know what triggered it off, but I just felt this like feeling that I am so starved for love and all the divine wants to do is love me and remind me that I am love. Like yes. I literally am love. And yet I'm so starved for it. And I could just feel like this, this, this word, like open, just open, 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 open and feel it. And, and I was really wrestling with a lot of grief over this idea that, you know, growing up, it was this idea that you are so wicked and sinful. God cannot even stand to be in your presence. And the only way that you get to be around him is if you are literally covered. So he can't even see you in blood. Mm. So So you are not seen by God unless you are hidden from God by someone else. And it was just like, of course, I'm starved for love. Of course, like that first and primal relationship to the divine itself. There was a message of, yeah, Vanessa, we don't, we don't even want to see your face. Like, can you cover that with something else? Can you cover that with blood or a sacrifice or someone else's? good works because 
yeah, you you yourself, no. And oh, it just like, I, I just like had to stop my audiobook and just felt again in my body, like just tingling all over my whole body of just oh, love has never been gatekept from me in re- in truth. Like in truth, it's yeah. always been right there. It's always been mine. And that was just so like liberating. And then when that's true for me, that gets to be true for everyone else. Mm-hmm. No one else has to come a certain way, show up a certain way, right? The, the love, like you said, for others just gets bro- burst wide open when it's burst wide open for me also. And so uh, I love that. Love it. Look at us. Look at us being all free with love. Exactly. Like <laughs> okay. It. Wait, so I have oh, a question. So <laughs> if, if God would tell Christy that she's fucking amazing, what would God tell you, Amber and Vanessa? Oh, that is rude. <laughs> Ooh, love it. Just gut instinct. Like, just what comes out? This is it. Ooh. I really feel like it would just be like, this is what I meant the whole time. Like, you know, like this was it. This is always it. Um, Okay, I'm not going to cry. Move on. Next. No, it's beautiful. <laughs> we love tears. We've been talking about feelings all day. It's uh, yeah, presence. Yeah. yeah. I feel like God would say, you are me and I am you. Mm. And that's how it's always been. Just like that deep oneness. There's never been a, there's never been a separation. There's never been a need for um, a chasm to be bridged or any of that. Mm, Beautiful. Mm -hmm. What about you, Becca? I think God would say, welcome home. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's what my journeys felt like. Yeah. Which is similar. I think all of us, it's like three different languages explaining the same feeling. (laughs) Mm. I was watching this, this thing. This might be on one t- of my favorites, by the way. You guys. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh. Mine oh, too. We could, but we, Vanessa came in with her one TikTok. Go ahead. Go ahead. TikTok reference. <laughs> I always. It's it's gonna be in every episode, guys. I was watching this thing on TikTok. There's this spiritual person that I follow who is phenomenal, motivational speaker. I think like F A U X. You know, like fo motivational speaker. Anyways. He's amazing. And he was saying that every story that we love, every good story is a story of, am I enough? Yes, I am. Mm. And that is the story of, that is the longing of all of us. Am I enough? Yes, I am. Like every single story. Um, And I haven't like explored it yet, but he's like, watch every movie that you love (laughs) and like get down to the bottom of it. And it's always that story of, um, Am I enough? Yes, I am. I, I yeah. love how deep the side of TikTok you're on is. It's so perfect sure. for you because <laughs> mine is the dumbest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have learned a lot about I have a things, mixture. I have Amber, a mixture. <laughs> Amber's is like how to apply chapstick so your lips stay hydrated. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. I did really learn how to really truly hydrate your lips on TikTok. <laughs> My both. TikTok would be like animals doing weird, funny things. 
I don't use it, but I mean, everybody knows what mine would be. It's like all nature videos, gardens, (laughs) all gardens and plants, (laughs) just like animals being adorable, birds flying up to flowers. Like that's all my TikTok would be. Mine's a lot of humor. There's a lot of humor on mine, which totally checks out for me, but it's also a lot of like mine. A lot of it. It's actually like, Hey, you're mentally ill. And I'm like, I know, (laughs) but it's fine. It's cool. (laughs) Mine is mine is all tear down the patriarchy. Yeah. um, Yeah. And the other things. I love it. Uh, well, Christy, thank you so, so much. Do you want to permanently join our podcast? No, um, (laughs) I, I personally so enjoyed, um, speaking with you and I'm really grateful for your time and experiences and just thanks for being here and for sharing with us. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And would you, would you let everyone know where they can find you if they want to keep following you? I know that you're, I think, planning to do some stuff around deconstruction and Enneagram and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, um, yes, people can find me probably easiest on Instagram. So I have two kind of spaces there. So full and free Enneagram, uh, which is essentially what we've been talking about this entire conversation of like stepping into the fullness of who you are and finding the freedom to be that beautiful, amazing person. So full and free Enneagram is where I do a lot of that work. And this fall I'm launching an Enneagram and uh, faith deconstruction group because Mm -hmm. it's so interesting. I never planned to like use my Enneagram space to talk about this process because mostly it's just been like super vulnerable. And like, this is one of the loneliest, darkest, most complicated things I've ever walked through. And so, um, but every once in a while, someone will ask a question about like faith and the Enneagram. And so it's just come up a few times and the response of people saying, Oh my God, you too. Or, Oh my gosh, I connect with that. And like, where the hell are all of us? Like we need our own church. Like we need mm-hmm. places all over because like, we're all thinking like I'm messed up. And then we find someone where they're, we're like, Oh my gosh, I'm not a total loser. Like I didn't go to the dark side. It mm-hmm. feels like I did, you know, um, which is again, that black and white thinking, but anyway, um, so full and free Enneagram leading that group this fall. And then I also certify other Enneagram coaches and Vanessa is a guest professor at my program, which is called Enneagram university. So Ooh. she leads the group there, which is obviously phenomenal and amazing. So, um, you can find me there too on Instagram. Thank you guys for having me. It has Thank been so such an honor. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. This is obviously like the, just the deepest space in my heart of like, the thing that feels most important is just like love and healing and goodness for creating safe spaces for everybody. Right. So I'm very grateful. Thank, thank you guys you. for what you're putting into the you're world. Amazing. Such a gift. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Okay. We've been talking long enough. We would love to hear from you head to www.askptw.com and let us know what you think about this. Send us your questions or give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget, send us a voice message if you'd like to possibly be featured in a future episode. Thanks for listening. See you next Monday.